The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Our scripture reading is Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Oh, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But um, I can tell by the, your response of good evening that your hearts are a little troubled right now. Listen, the championship resides in Kansas City, not Denver, okay? And that's okay. Um, and so moving on from until the rest of the season, until the season starts, you got to call me champ. You know, from Kansas City, you just got to call me that. That's what it is, and I'm going to sit in that. And so, um, but I joke with you guys, um, seriously. Um, no, but it does feel good, though, seriously. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, hey, um, it is good to see you. Um, it is good to be here with you this evening. If you're new, my name is Miguel Warren, and I have the privilege and honor to serve on staff here as the director of community. And so um, it, is by not, it is not by accident that you are here. And so I am glad you're here. And for all of us that are here, God, I'm learning more and more that by God's providence, he places right where we need to be at the time we need to be with the people we need to be with. And so um, <clears throat> with that being said, if you would, please pray for me and I will pray for us as we get ready to go sit at the feet of Jesus to hear from his word uh, from Matthew 2 today. So if you would just calm your hearts. Um, before we approach him. Oh, Father, how glorious and magnificent is your name above all the earth. I am so glad that we serve a God who is faithful and patient and gracious and merciful and even just. 
And even when we don't like it, that you also discipline us for our good. God, many of us come into this place with burdens on our hearts. 2020 hasn't been as what we thought it would be. And so, God, I pray that regardless of what this life has been so far, that we would lay whatever we're carrying, whatever weight, whatever burden we have, that we lay it at your feet. Your word is very clear that you call us to give our burdens to you, for your yoke is easy, your burden is light. For we will find rest in you, God. And I pray that under the sound of my voice that they do not see me merely as an entertainer, but one standing before you, thus says the Lord. So God, hide me behind the cross that you are magnified, that they will see you, O Lord. God, your word is what brings life. Not my words, not my eloquent speech, but the power of the Holy Spirit. God, you, through your word, is living and active. You rebuke, you encourage, you exhort. God, you even bring life from dead places. So God, as we stand before you, as we sit at your feet, pour out your spirit upon us, O God. For the way that we felt the snow hit our face this morning, I pray that we feel your presence just as much to know that you desire to commune with us and be with us in this very moment. So God, knowing that if you do no more, you're still the most faithful and just God there is or ever will be. And so let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we collectively all together said, amen. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. <clears throat> Have you ever went great lengths for, lengths for something you desperately desire to have? Have you ever, whether that is like a physical journey, right, where you actually went from one place and got somewhere to another one, or even if it was like maneuvering, surfing the web, or trying to get something that you so desperately want. The, the whole point is that, have you ever went great lengths to get something that you desperately want? To see, to experience. It is my guess that the vast majority of us have done that at some point in our lives. We've seen something, it stirred something in us, and so we pursue it with vengeance until we encounter it. And so it is what we will come to today in the text. We will see that the Magi, these wise men, heard about King Jesus, and yet it stirred something in them so much that they were willing to travel great lengths to worship him. And so I ask you that in your life today, right where you're at, are you willing to go great lengths to worship and experience King Jesus in your life today? Because we're going to see here in this text three movements that it talks about in this text here where God, God's redemption extends beyond borders ethnic borders and it reaches and meets people right where they're at. God will lead you on your journey. And the last movement, a king that is worthy of worship. Again, we'll have three movements here. We'll have God, God's redemption extends beyond boundaries. God will lead you in your journey. And 
There's a king that is worthy to be worshipped. So if you would please, let's look at the first movement, how God's redemption extends beyond ethnic borders and meet people right where they're at. If you would, draw your eyes to verse 1 and 2. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the day of, uh, born in Bethlehem of Judah, in the day of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, Note that there, remember, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'm going to bust your little Christmas bubble that we will learn to grow to know. So as we get ready to go through these passages, we will see that there's things that we heard about and sing about when it comes to the Christmas story and the nativity scene that isn't quite true. The first one here is that nowhere in the text do you hear, see that they are kings. It doesn't say that. And nowhere in the text do we see that it was three wise men or magis. Now, we see three gifts, but that does not mean that there were three people. And what we know about these magis, here's a few things that we know. The reality is that we don't know much about them, but some theologians suggest a few of these things that I will get ready to share with you about who they are. One is that they, they, they are, have powerful influence, and it's possible that they come from Babylon and, or Persia here. So they're really Gentiles. They're really known for their learning and their wisdom that's combined here. And so they also look at, um, they study the stars. They are astrologers, but that's not all that they do here. You see, it, it's probably that they have political and religious rule, um, they, that there are political and religious rules, excuse me, role uh, figures in their time, respected for their wisdom here. It's like, think of a, a, a mixture of elite, like intelligence and, uh, I mean, intellects and religious priests of their time. It's kind of like someone that is like, they're like math, uh, science, math, literature priest. And so what they would do is that they would carefully record anything that they see in the, star, uh, uh, in the skies. They would study the planets and they would look at uh, uh, stars and different things. And what they would really do was they would try to make sense of life. And so when anything happened out of the ordinary, what they would do is try to say, they, they would think that it's like some type of omen. Like, what does this mean for, for the world and for, uh, for, for what's going on here? So they're trying to use their system, their understanding to get truth out of life here. But when you look into the text, that's all we know about them, at least for someone. And we know that they come from the east, which is key here. Come from the east. If you ever pull up a map and look and see where Babylon or uh, Babylonian or, or Persia is at, which actually is probably around Iraq, modern day. So they may be Arab, but what we do know here is that the text says that they saw his star when it rose. So write what they're doing. God reveals himself to them in what they are doing. And so we can rest assured to know that no matter what you are doing, no matter what you are engaging with, God will reach you and meet you right where you're at. 
Because notice, it wasn't a herald of the gospel, right? It wasn't like somebody was standing there blowing a trumpet saying, hey, we got good news. King of the, uh, uh, the king of the Jews has been born. That's not the case. These men are east of Jerusalem, I mean, of Bethlehem. And they hear and God reveals himself, his common grace to them. And it reminds me of John uh, 6, 4, 4, where, he, where, where Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. He draws them. Titus chapter 2 says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people here. Understand that here's something that's very interesting. We have the capability of today to reach people, to express ourselves, for people to get to know us via email, letter, FaceTime, Skype. We have the technology to do that and engage with someone in a different time zone and in a different location. Surely God, the creator of this world, can reach people beyond boundaries. And so what we know here is that from the very beginning of Jesus' life, even from a child, he has been reaching non-Jews to come into his kingdom. And so whether you are Asian or Hispanic, Latino, black, um, Jamaican, Nigerian, whatever the case may be, one thing is very true and that we see from this scripture, God reaches beyond ethnic boundaries to welcome them in their kingdom, to in his kingdom. And we see that, and what a beautiful thing that is. But get this, not only does God reveal himself and goes beyond boundaries to read all different ethnicity groups, but also even to this very day, in this very moment as we're sitting here, God has and still does reveal himself to us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, even as a believer, even as a believer, there was once a moment where you was messed up, you was uh, totally separated from him, enemies of God. Yet in darkness... Loving the world, and yet by the power of the Holy Spirit that illuminated your heart, he reached beyond boundaries and brought you in to his light. He reached you in the darkest place and said, come to me. I'm so glad that he reaches beyond boundaries. Beyond borders. It reminds me of Psalms 124, when it says, If it had not been for the Lord who is on our side, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, who was on my, uh, our side, where would I be? Where would you be? We have a God that loves his people. We are image bearers of him, and so he wants to go great lengths to reveal himself to you so that he can draw you to himself. And see, we, we see even in the early stages of Jesus' life, we see that the allegiance, the allegiances he will create will extend beyond boundaries of Judaism. While at the same time, get this, he will threaten and alienate many within those boundaries. Look with me, if you will, to verse 3 of the text here. It says in verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. 
and all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the, all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ had, was to be born. Who is Herod here? So we have the Magi, these wise men who we talked about. Now you have Herod on this thing. Herod the Great. He was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. He comes from the tribe of the, uh, the lineage of the Edomites. And he is only king of the Jews because the Romans uh, placed him ruler of them. But then not only that, man, he, he's cutthroat. He would do anything he can. He will kill even his own family, his sons, and those in his family so that they will not threaten his throne, his power, his kingdom. And when you see the text, it says that he was troubled in all of Jerusalem. And really that, that word trouble is saying that they were in turmoil. They were terrified. He was terrified because now... There is one who is legitimately and rightfully the king that is threatening his power and his rule and his reign here. But let's not breeze past Herod so quickly because if we're honest, we are prone to be like Herod sometime in our lives. We want to hold on to our thrones. We want to hold on to the power, the influence that God has uh, that, that, that allowed us to have. And so we, we don't want to hold, we don't want to let it go. We want to be like, no, 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 God, you, this is for me, not you. And even we'll try sometimes to, to, to have false motives when it comes to trying to worship and being with God, just like Herod was. Because in verse 8, he tells the wise men, he goes, he tells them where Jesus is at. And then he says, hey, Bring, when, when you find out where he's at, bring me, he says in verse 8, bring word to me so that I may come and worship him. And we know that's a lie because if you keep reading on in chapter 2, we see that Herod issues out uh, um, this rule to kill every child under two. And so again, if we're honest, we, we're prone. We have that propensity to hold on to, to our thrones in our lives instead of relinquishing it and trusting and surrendering it to God. And I don't know about you, but anytime we try to get into a bout and fight with God, I think his eyes are pretty good of winning. Every time. And so whatever thrones you have in your life and you're trying to hold on to, let go of them. Trust him. Surrender it. Surrender your life to him. And so we see that God reaches beyond ethnic boundaries to meet people right where they're at, but then also God will lead you in your journey. Think about this now. How, you have to ask yourself the question, how did they know to go to Jerusalem? When you think about that here. Now understand here, in all of its totality, we're not fully sure why that is, but scholars speculate a few things on how they probably could have came to Jerusalem. One is that um, it was probably through the prophet Balaam in number, Numbers uh, 24, 17 that may have been a possibility. It also could be Daniel. Remember, Daniel went, uh, was under Babylonian uh, uh, rule, and so he studied up under them at that time, studied, the, the, uh, studied dreams and visions. And then, as you know, Daniel quickly rise and interpret the king's dreams. And then also Daniel shared about how there would be um, this 
how there'll be three successive kingdoms, but yet there'll be one kingdom to come up and swallow it all, all the other kingdoms in the world. So it could have been perhaps that they remembered the things that Daniel was teaching at the time that got them. But one thing is for sure is that they probably were, in, probably they were engaging the Hebrew scriptures coupled with like doing their work and looking at the star, because we we're going to talk a little bit about the star that led them there. So we know that God is using the systems in their life right where they're at to lead them and guide them on this journey. Now understand this star here. It, it, it <clears throat> Some say, well, was it a new planet? Was it a comet? Well, we got to understand later in the text it says that the star led them and rested right over the place. And we know things about comets. Comets don't stop. They keep going. But here's one thing we know about a star. The star is, uh, a star could be like a heavenly being or it could be an angel or some sort of supernatural light, right? Like a Shekinah glory, the Shekinah glory of God. The same light that, would, that led the Israelites in the wilderness. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But we know that the text tells us in verse 9 that when they saw that star, it went before them. So it led them. To King Jesus. And you know what's really interesting about this? Here's what's interesting. The chief priest and the scribes, they knew exactly where Jesus was at. Exactly where Jesus was at. When you look at, look at, verse, five, look at verse 5 and 6. They knew exactly. Here's trouble. He's like, hey, uh, uh, come on, priests, scribes, let me know what's going on. Where's this, where's this uh, Christ at? Where's this Messiah at? Who is he? And they respond. They said, they told him in Bethlehem of Judah. For it is written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler hmm, who will shepherd my people of Israel. And you know what's interesting here? Get this. <clears throat> it is led to believe that if you look at Jerusalem compared to Bethlehem, it is probably maybe five to six miles to Bethlehem from Jerusalem. And yet you have these wise men that is led to believe to travel about 800 or over 800 miles to go worship and experience the king of the Jews, the rightful one. What does this say to us? What does this mean to us here? They knew the scriptures but yet never pursued Jesus. It's like John, what, what Jesus says in John 5, 49, when he says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Then he says in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Get this, a person can diligently study the written word and miss Jesus, the living word. Now, knowing God's word is absolutely essential. But having knowledge of the word that doesn't lead to active pursuit of the living word is actually meaningless. And if we're honest here, let me ask you this, the question, are you willing to go great lengths, lengths to experience and worship King Jesus? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Think about this here. They travel 800, probably 800 miles on a, on a camel. You know that, right? Not a plane, a camel. 
So imagine the journey, and it was, it was very dangerous to travel. And imagine they're getting up, and they're sleeping, and then they keep going. And imagine people probably getting on their nerves, because you know when you travel with people, people get irritating after a while. I guess I'm the only one to experience that. All right, whatever. But imagine that, but the, here's the whole thing. They were still willing to be inconvenienced. They were willing to pursue and go see the one born king of the Jews and worship him at all costs. And I ask you today, what needs to shift in your life for you to go experience and worship King Jesus? Do you need to get up and make time and go to gospel community groups? Do you need to Cut off TV early at night? Do you need to not watch TV in the morning? Do you not need to pick up the newspaper or pick up the, or look and see what the stocks are doing? I don't know what it is that needs to happen, but ask yourself the question, what needs to shift in your life in order for you to be willing to be inconvenienced so that you can experience on the journey to go worship King Jesus? Because here's the truth of the matter. Even on this journey as God leads them, how many of you all know that God puts detours in our lives. I don't know about you, but I get frustrated with detours. I'm driving, I'm trying to go somewhere, and it's like, oh, you got to turn right here. I'm like, why are we building something again? Why are we moving something? Wasn't they just doing construction? Detours in our lives. We don't like them. They bother us. But how many of you all know that detours actually are a blessing and are a gift from God? Here's how God led them on their detour. Think about this. They were already in the east. They were experiencing and doing their life together. And God revealed himself to them. Probably coupled with the Hebrew scriptures and what they were doing. They said, hey, man, man, let's go to Jerusalem. Now, understand this. They went to Jerusalem. When I say making a ruckus, probably they're going to ask him these questions. Where's him born king of the Jews? We came to worship him. Which I would imagine that if it was only three of them that did that, surely that's not enough noise to get Herod's attention, though. Just using my spiritual imagination, I don't know. But my whole point is that, get this, they go now to Jerusalem and experience Herod. Look at this, look at the cause of this, look at this. They go to a king that is known for killing people to threaten, that, that, that threatens his throne, and they're like, hey, where's the one king of the Jews? We come to worship him, not King Herod. But then get this, even then, God uses Herod to help the wise man go to Bethlehem. He sits there, when you look into the text, he goes, Herod pulls him secretly and is like, hey, where do you see this king at? Where, when did you see this star and what's going on? Hey, look, here's the deal. He's in Bethlehem. When you go, uh, when you search for him diligently, come back and let me know so that I can go worship him. Which is a lie. They didn't know that, but we do, but it's a lie. But here's what I'm saying. God will use Herod's in your lives as much as you don't like them or as much as they bother you to lead you to the truth to where you need to go. Because here's one thing that God does on his journey. Herod is evil, but yet at the end of the day, he is an image bearer of God. And God uses image bearers and do whatever he mean, needs to do to reach you and people to draw them to himself. Detours. Are frustrating. But understand this that um, even in the midst of detours, it's not like God will, it's not like God will reach beyond ethnic boundaries and um, and stop there, but then He's gonna lead you. And it's not like, hey, where you got? Where are you leading us? I don't know, we're going it's not like you're just aimlessly going. The text tells us in verse 9, it says that when you look at it, it says, when you look at verse 9, it says, and the star that they saw when it rose, it went before them. It led them to the place 
where the child was. It rested right over the place where the child was, which lets us know that in our journey, God will lead you to the right place. Talking about detours. Man, if you would have told me 12 months ago that I would have been in Denver, I would have been like, you're kidding me. Seriously. Think about it. I was in Kansas City. My wife and I, our plan was to stay in Kansas City because we love the city. We want to pursue there. We want to stay in ministry there. She's grooving in her, in her career, and I'm getting off and experiencing this pastoral residency. And all of a sudden, for them to say that, hey, guess what? We don't have a job for you here after it's over. So I'm snotting. I'm boohooing. I'm crying. I'm messed up. I'm hurt. I'm angry. All of that stuff. But yet, let me look how God works. There was a woman that's here in the congregation that is a small, that is a uh, gospel community leader that's good friends with a woman named that said here, that is good friends with me, that came and said, hey, I don't know what's going on. I know your situation. What do you think about Denver? I was like, I don't know. They got the Broncos. I don't want to go there. It is what it is. I guess. But seriously, I was like, I guess it's cool. Sat on it for two months because I was like, man, that's not, that's not where I need to be going. I need to be going here. We need to stay here. And yet two months later, Ali comes up, follows up with me and says, hey, hey, did you, ever, did you ever seek out that opportunity at Park? Man, they're still looking for somebody. You really should consider it. And probably out of frustration, it's in like, I was like, okay, whatever, yeah, I'm going to go do this. Next thing you know, that leads to a conversation with Pastor Gary, which then leads to a conversation with more conversations. Me and my wife are on a plane in January of 2019. All of a sudden, we're on a plane back to Kansas City realizing, oh, my God, we are about to come to Denver. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Detours. That wasn't part of our journey. But understand here this, is that me and my, my wife and I, what we, what, one thing that we always said was that, look here, at the end of the day, we would rather be faithful to God, follow what he is doing, instead of being comfort, comfortable and miserable in Kansas City. Now, hear me now, this detour, this traveling us, come here. That didn't mean that it didn't come with some crying and some tears over these last 11 months. I'm not saying that now. I'm not saying that when you go on a journey, everything is going to be good, it's going to be roses, and there's going to be no problem. No, I'm not saying that. You're going to cry a little bit. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be irritated. You're going to be like, what is going on? Some things don't make sense. But here's what does make sense. God will lead you right to where you need to be if you're willing to be inconvenienced to follow and worship King Jesus. God used the wise man, broken system of discovering truth. Their system, their broken way of like to discover truth. And he, he, he used that supernaturally to guide them to the truth. The same is for us today. We like to be the chess master of our life. We want to move about and we want to go and we want to make things work. And we're trying to use our broken system to make sense of the truth of this life. And yet God in his great mercy and his great grace and his providence says he's going to use and step in, reach beyond boundaries, uh, ethnic boundaries in our brokenness, in our broken system, and still use that to draw him, draw us, you and I, to himself, to the truth. Are you willing to be inconvenienced to worship King Jesus? So we see that God reaches beyond boundaries. We see that God will lead us in our journey, and this will bring us to our last point, where 
is the king worthy of worship here? In verse 2, the wise men tells us their only aim, their, only, their sole purpose was to come and worship him. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing like that. They say, hey, where is he at? King of the, where's the born, born king of the Jews? We come to worship him. And I submit to you today that our only aim and purpose in life, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, is to come and worship him. At your job, we ought to worship him. At home with kids, you ought to worship him. In your marriage, in your relationship, wherever the feet, your feet takes you in life, your sole aim is to worship and glorify and honor him in all that we do here. But look at their response. We see how they fall at his feet. When the star led them, look what it says in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Understand that it says they went to the house, which also the nativity scene isn't right because they show these three, they say these three kings, these wise men, they come and they're at the, the manger. He, they're not at the manger, they're in the house right now. And again, so maybe he's anywhere between one, two years old probably, we don't know, but we know he's not in the manger here. But understand that they come and they fall down. They see the star where it rests, they see it and they get excited. This is it, this is where we got to go. It rushes. Then they see again. Then not only do they just get excited and they stop there, but it says they go into the house. Many times when God leads us on a journey, we don't need to just stop. Keep pressing in. Keep going. Because had they stopped outside the house, get this, they would have never been able to come into the presence of a king. And so as you're on your journey, keep going because God wants to invite us into his presence. He's leading us to his presence here. And understand that they fell down in worship, meaning that he, they said that he's this ruler and they want to worship him. They want to submit and trust him because he's a righteous and just ruler to be and is right now. And his life will to prove that. But then also the text tells us in verse 6 that not only is he a ruler, but he also will shepherd the people. Which means that has implications of implies that he is one that guides and comforts us and has compassion. And so they fell down and worshiped him. Oh, what a beautiful thing. I submit to you, submit your life and worship him because here's one thing that is true. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 and 11 tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so if you sit here today and you are a believer, continue to pursue and worship him because he's worthy to be praised. But if you're not a believer, let me tell you something here. Even if you don't experience him as Lord here on earth, get this. You will know him as Lord. Because the text says every knee will bow. 
and every tongue will confess. I tell you here today, if you are a non-believer, get this. It is, if, if you don't put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, get this. The little bit of heaven is all you will experience here on earth. But if you put your hope and trust in him, not only do you get to experience a little bit of heaven here on earth, but you'll experience all of it in eternity. So every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They fell down and worshiped him. And understand this, when they worship him and when they led to him, get this, they did this all out of faith. They traveled 800 some miles to go see this King Jesus being inconvenienced. Feet probably hurting, tired, probably water, food, probably limited on supply. I don't know, but I can only imagine what that journey was like. It wasn't American Airlines, you want some peanuts and something to drink. Seriously. But look at the, it had the faith that it took for them to travel that far and then fell down and worshiped him. This child, having faith that this is the one who will deliver us. He's the one, the king of Jews that will deliver us from the oppression of the Romans. He's no more than two years old. He hasn't even lived his life. But they had faith enough to say that this child is the king and I'm going to worship him. Imagine the links they did. The faith that it took to endure all of that. But not only did they worship him and fall down with their life, but the text tells us that they gave him gifts. Now understand, when it comes to the gifts, I'm not sure. Here's one thing. It doesn't specifically say that these gifts were like, oh, they brought gold because it represents for kings. And that's why they brought gold and frankincense because it represents like worship and incense in the temple. Oh, and myrrh because it represents like the bodily death that is to come. That's not necessarily, if you look in other parts of the text and you start doing studies, that's not necessarily saying what, what this is getting at. In some ways, you could say that, you could speculate, but we're not for sure. But what we do know is that they gave rightful gifts, good gifts, to the king that deserves them. And again, it's probably that they used, and probably Mary and Joseph used the, the gifts as money to be able to get away from Herod, as you'll see later on in Matthew, and then come back again. We're not really sure here, but here's one thing I will say. I believe that the magi, these wise men, foreshadow what is to come when it comes to worshiping and honoring God. Haggai chapter 2 verse 7, it says, I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of the nations will come to me. Isaiah 65, wealth of the nations shall come to me. And then uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 10, and when, uh, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, hear this in verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, worship him, worshiping in him who lives forever, casting their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy of you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I believe the, these magis are showing us a foreshadow that, hey, all the good gifts that God has that are ours, they ought to be laid down at this King Jesus' feet. Understand here now, here's the thing. They had the gifts. Notice they didn't give them to Herod. They didn't give it to Herod. 
They went there and was like, hey, we're, uh, king of the, uh, we, we here to worship the king of the Jews. Uh, where's the king of the Jews? We come here to worship. Man, talk about some faith. to be. <laughs> but they didn't give their offerings. They didn't give them to the king. No, they gave them to the rightful king. We see here in the text, and I submit to you today, let's give Jesus our gifts. Let's give him our best. We need to stop giving our gifts to the Herods in our lives and giving Jesus our sloppy seconds. We have to give him good gifts because understand here, the Magi's had faith, and this is a child, and they didn't know what is to come, but they got faith. They're saying this is the one that is going to deliver, and this king of the Jews, and so we're worshiping him, and we're going to give him this good gifts. But they, don't have the, they didn't have the privilege that you and I have. We know how the story ends. We have the Bible that tells us that this child that they came to see eventually grew up to be a man that lived a sinless life that you and I couldn't live. It said, you know what? Not only that, hey, the, the wrath of God that you deserve, guess what I'm going to do? He says that I'm going to put it upon myself. I'm going to be willing to be humiliated and, 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 and kicked on and spit on, bruised and crushed on your behalf because I love you. Not because you look good, not because you dress good, not because the 401k is fat, you're losing 50 pounds and you're ready for your summer body, whatever the case may be. No, he says you are embarrassed and you are worthy of dying for. And so if he comes and do that and says that he is willing to take your sin and my sin and nail them to the cross, why would we not want to lay down our best before a king that is so worthy to be worshipped? It's very interesting to me. Hear me now. I love my chief so dearly. But it's so interesting how I watch people that I knew, even on social media, to travel great lengths to go to that parade. They come in, they're traveling, taking off work. They're standing in the cold, 27 degrees. Oof. 27 degrees in Kansas City is, is mm-mm. But hear me now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't say this to condemn them. But here's the reality. As much as I love them and care for them, guess what? The chiefs can't do nothing for me. And so I see people, and you can't have the excuse to say, well, well, I can't do it. No, we will go great lengths for the things that we care so deeply and desperately for. And as much as I love my chiefs and as much as I love sports here at the end of the day, they're not going to be the one that gives me eternal security. No, but it's going to be the chief priest, Jesus Christ, the one who bore our sins. It is him who gives us eternal life. They say it's the sea of red in Kansas City, but really what it is is that we will have the sea of red, the blood of Jesus that is draped all over us so that when we stand before him, we can lay our crowns down before him and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Are you willing to be inconvenienced to go worship King Jesus. And we see here in the text that God reaches, God's redemption work reaches beyond boundaries and meets us right where we're at. But he don't just leave us, he leads and guides us on our journey so that we can go and come 
and worship a king that is worthy to be worshiped. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you love us enough not to leave us stranded, but that you saw fit that even from the very onset when the word became flesh, before even Jesus went to the cross, you're reaching people of all ethnic groups for your kingdom. And so, God, I'm grateful that it's by your grace and mercy that you don't just leave us there, but you meet us in our brokenness, in our mess, and guide us along the way, God. Give us strength to endure, to know that even in hard times, we can persevere because you're worthy of it. So God, help us right where we're at. Help us not try to do it in our own strength or might, because if we do, we will fail. But by the power of the Holy Spirit that you pour out on each and every believer, God, I pray that we press into that and that we lead and walk according to the Spirit so that we can come and worship you in every aspect of our lives until we get to be with you in glory. Knowing that if you do no more, you're still the most faithful and just God there is or ever will be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, here's, here's something here. Right before we get ready to take communion, I wanted to say this to us. Hey, what would it look like if we were a people, if, if we here at Park Church were a people that were willing to go great lengths, willing to be inconvenienced to go worship King Jesus, what would our church look like? What would our neighborhoods look like? What would our cities look like if we were willing to do whatever it means to be able to worship God in every aspect of our lives? God says in his word, hey, greater, he goes, greater works you would do than these. The text says that we have not uh, been able to, uh, God would do exceedingly and abundantly be, uh, uh, above and beyond all that we can even think or imagine. If we have the faith to go and be inconvenienced to worship, what would we be as a church? The lives that would be saved for his kingdom.